بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما يا حي يا قيوم يا رب العالمين We begin seeking the help of Allah Azza wa Jal praising him and sending salutations, peace and blessings upon the Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and upon his family and his companions. And we begin by asking Allah Azza wa Jal, Al-Hayyul Qayyum, to teach us what will benefit us and to benefit us with what he teaches us and to increase us in knowledge. Insha'Allah Ta'ala, we're here today in this Friday night reflections with a special topic. And I have a very clear reason for wanting to deal with this topic here. We're going to talk about a simple guide to self Rukia. But before we begin the topic at hand, I want to describe to you why it is that I want to do this topic here today. As many of you will already know, I have been heavily involved in Rukia for many years now. I don't know how many years, but it's been probably in excess of 10 years now. And as many of you will also know, when I came to join Kelima, one of the things that we agreed, myself and the staff at Kelima, was that we would not make Ruqya a big part of what I do here. And there is a very clear set of reasons for that. Kelima is a center for new Muslims, and it has its objectives and its goals, and it's not a Ruqya center. And therefore, we came to an agreement that there would be only a limited amount of time and effort dedicated to this topic because it doesn't fall under the strategic objectives of the center, which makes perfect sense and made perfect sense to me. However, there is no doubt that people are in desperate need. And gradually, as the years have passed, and it's coming to almost, you know, three years, maybe two and a half years with Kelima. The pressure to respond to these kind of cases has become increasingly great. And I have opened opportunities for appointments in the past. But the problem is that the numbers are not decreasing, they are only increasing. And the resources that I have are very, very limited indeed in terms of time and in terms of facilities to be able to help people. And since I've opened up the 
appointments, I have noticed a trend. And I've noticed that I repeat the same things. 90 to 95% of what I say is exactly the same thing. Regardless of who comes and regardless of the problem that they come with. So after dua and after seeking advice from the brothers, we think it would be beneficial by the help of Allah Azza to record that same advice that I give to those people who come, which is 95% the same to everybody in one evening. So that inshallah ta'ala it is easier to share with people. And this benefits the people and it benefits me ta'ala and the center as well. It benefits people because they don't have to wait a month or two months to get an appointment with me, to sit with me, to go through the same thing that I can say inshallah ta'ala tonight on a video that we can share with everybody. So they get to embrace their cure and their treatment quickly ta'ala. Also, it helps us at Kalima so that we can focus our efforts on other things. And I'm sure you guys recognize how important it is to give da'wah to Islam, how important it is to help new Muslims, and that this has to be given priority over these secondary issues, which although they are very important to me and very important to all of you, they don't form the, the core of what we're trying to achieve with the Islamic Center. So the aim here tonight, inshallah ta'ala, is to record that 95% similar advice that gets given to everybody so that inshallah ta'ala, we can share it with more and more people, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. And tonight, inshallah ta'ala, I've made a special request of our media team. And that is that I've asked them to do some significant editing to this video so that when I mention a dua, or I mention a hadith, or I mention an ayah, that inshallah this ayah will come up on the screen, in the video. And likewise, that if I mention a link to a talk or to an article, that bi-idhnillahi ta'ala this article will also appear as part of the video, inshallah, with the help of Allah To make it as easy as possible for people to benefit from this advice. I've given many, many talks on Ruqya. I don't know how many hours I have recorded on YouTube, but I presume that it is over 50 hours worth of lectures. However, they've become so many and so varied that many people don't listen to them. They listen to bits of them. They say, I've seen this video, I've seen... But what I want to do today is to distill all of that into an hour and a half or more or less, according to what Allah makes easy. There are a couple of disclaimers before I start. The first disclaimer is that I am unlikely to have a lot of time today to deal with people's questions. And that's because the topic at hand is pretty big, and also the number of people who will have questions is expected to be quite large. I'm expecting the number of people who have questions to be quite a lot. The purpose of this video is to decrease the pressure on the center with questions about Rukia, not to increase it. So we might have to be a little bit strict about how we deal with those things uh, after the class today, inshallah. 
The second thing that we're not set up for doing today is we're not set up for doing any ruqya today. We're in a masjid, in a classroom setting for the purpose of teaching people how to perform this treatment if anyone today becomes unwell or becomes disruptive through no fault of their own I'm sure we would kindly ask the people who have brought them to take care of that maybe outside or at the back of the masjid because the importance of dealing with this class here today is more important than the treatment of any one individual so I'm not going to stop the class to treat somebody who falls over in the back which has happened before inshallah there are some volunteers here from Kalima and ta'ala they'll help but the main purpose here today is to learn not to treat people that being said inshallah ta'ala we can begin the topic at hand and I want to begin with Five points that have not a lot to do with a ruqya sharia. They are five points, and I don't say by any means they are the only five, but they are five points which I believe form the basis of getting out of every musibah, every calamity, every problem that befalls anyone whether it is a problem in their health or a problem in their wealth or a problem with their family whether it is arguments between husband and wife or magic or possession of the jinn or psychological problems or whether it's problems in people's work or jobs there are certain maybe five we might get to six key points that must be understood as an introduction and wallahi i genuinely believe that these are some of the most neglected points when it comes to people's problems people run from you know one side of the earth to the other to solve their problems they visit countless number of shuyukh scholars and tulabul ilm they send emails they you know they go for counseling they do all sorts of things but so few of them give attention to these specific issues and they're somewhat unrelated to ruqya there's a little overlap but generally these are absolutely absolutely fundamental the first is al-aqidah a person's belief and their creed and i believe this is absolutely fundamental in a person getting relief for the problems that befall them and the problems that happen to them how many people come and they don't have proper knowledge of who Allah is 
They are following practices from other religions which have been falsely attributed to Islam. They have beliefs which oppose the belief of the Prophet ﷺ and his companions. And so the very first place we must start is where the Prophet ﷺ started with. And that is the correctness of a person's belief. For the better part of 13 years, the Prophet ﷺ stayed in Mecca teaching the people La ilaha illallah. Because if your belief in La ilaha illallah is flawed, then everything you do after that will be flawed. And it doesn't matter if you do the best ruqya and the most effective or that you go to the best counselor or the best raqi. If the soil is full of poison, the seed will never grow. So absolutely the first step, and I'm going to inshallah ta'ala at this point ask the brothers to link to some lectures. The very, very first step is for a person to correct their aqidah, their belief, their creed, their iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To correct what they believe in their heart. Giving truth to what Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam brought. Those fundamental beliefs that define them as a Muslim. If these are not right, ikhwani, then in the vast majority of cases, the ruqya will be ineffective or of limited effect. And yes, we can do ruqya as we will see later on for non-Muslims, but the reality is if you want maximum effect in ruqya or in getting rid of any problem, problems with your kids, problems with your money, problems with your life, then it has to start with your belief. Your belief is what corrects the rest of your actions. Didn't the Prophet ﷺ say, Ala inna fil jasadi mudgha, idha salahat salah al jasadu kullu, wa idha fasadat fasad al jasadu kulluhu ala wahi al qalb, aw kama qala sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Indeed, in the body there is a piece of flesh. If it is correct, the whole body will be correct. And if it is corrupt, the whole body will be corrupt and it's the heart. So we begin by correcting the heart, by correcting belief. Because wallahi, if you don't have that, then it's not your health that I fear for, but it's your iman that I fear for. And wallahi, I will tell you something. If your belief is correct, then I can't promise you a cure in this dunya. But if your belief is correct, then bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, if you don't get it in this dunya, then wallahi al-azim, inshaAllah ta'ala, you will get Jannah al-Firdaus in the Akhirah. And if your belief is not correct, you may well get a cure in this dunya. But what will be waiting for you in the Akhirah? Except for loss, after loss, after loss.
So the first thing we do to remove the masaib, the calamities that befall us, is to correct our belief. And if you wish, you can think about the noon, Yunus alayhi salam, the companion of the fish, that when he became in that place in the stomach of the, of the fish, and he thought he would stay there until Yawm Al-Qiyamah. The very first thing that he called out, فَنَادَى فِي الظُّلُمَاتِ أَن لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ سُبْحَانَكَ إِنِّي كُنْتُ مِنَ الظَّالِمِينَ The first thing that he called out was the statement of Aqeedah, the statement of Tawheed. لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ سُبْحَانَكَ there is no God that deserves worship, worthy of worship, that deserves worship other than you. Exalted are you, free of you from, are you from all imperfections. So he affirmed his tawheed, his belief in Allah before anything and everything else. And Allah Azza wa Jal said, فَاسْتَجَبَنَا له. We answered him. وَنَجَّيْنَاهُ مِنَ الْغَمْ And we saved him from his distress. وَكَذَلِكَ نُنْجِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And in this way we will save every believer. So this is my first point. My second point from the major issues by which a person can remove themselves from calamities and problems is following the sunnah of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Before that, still on the topic of aqidah, there is an ayah we should also mention. Just to emphasize what I said about belief and iman. That Allah Azza wa Jal said, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَلَمْ يَلْبِسُوا إِيمَانَهُمْ بِظُلْمُ أُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمُ الْأَمْنُ وَهُمْ مُهْتَدُونَ Those who believe and do not mix their belief with polytheism. It is they who will have safety and security, and it is they who will be guided. So Allah Azza wa Jal promised you safety, and promised you security, and promised you guidance when your belief is correct, and your belief is pure. On to our second one, following the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Qur'an فَلْيَحْذَرِ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ أَنْ تُصِيبَهُمْ فِتْنَةً أَوْ يُصِيبَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ Let there be a warning for those who go against the command of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that they be struck by a calamity or by a painful punishment. This ayah tells us that one of the major reasons that calamities befall people, and the greatest calamity is the calamity of making a partner with Allah. But one of the major reasons why calamities befall people is because they oppose the sunnah of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
And this is one of the major problems we deal with in the appointments when people come with their cases. We ask them, what are you doing? And they're reading this dua a hundred times and this dhikr 21 times and yasin this number of times and this this number of times and this ayah and this dua and this narration and so on and so forth. Not a single action or very few of the actions they are doing have any evidence for them in the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa So if you are going through a calamity of any kind, look at what you are doing to remedy that calamity. And for every single action you are taking, every dhikr, every dua, every ayah you are reading, ask yourself this. Do I have an evidence for what I am doing from the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu alayhi wa If the answer is yes Then continue But if the answer is no Then stop it immediately And note that evidence is not my sheikh said Or this sheikh said Or someone who goes to classes told me That this is the right thing to do And evidence is Qala Allah Allah said, i.e. something from the Qur'an. Or qala Rasulullah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, something from the sunnah, with a sahih isnad, or a hasan isnad, with a chain which is reliable. Or the ijma' of the ummah, and the guidance of the companions radiallahu anhum, especially those things that they agreed upon unanimously. This is an evidence. Everything else is nothing but an opinion. And I repeat again that so many people, if not the majority of people who come to see me for these cases, the first thing I see them doing is that huge amount of the actions they are taking, the remedies they are taking, the books they are reading, the du'as they are making, are weak, fabricated, false, with no evidence. And this includes giving a number to something that Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam didn't give a number to. So if somebody says, I say, La ilaha illallah wahtahu la sharika la lahu al-mulk wa lahu al-hamd wa huwa ala kulli shayin qadir. It's from the sunnah. I say it 37 times in the morning and 37 times in the evening we say stop. Where did you get this number from? See, Wallah, my friend told me it worked for them. That's not an answer. That's not a delil. You bring an evidence for the number from the sunnah. Otherwise, change. If it's a general dhikr, keep it general. If the Prophet ﷺ did it without a number, keep it general without a number. If he did it with a number, follow the number that he did it with. So everything you're doing, go back through and start asking yourself, is this in accordance with the sunnah with an evidence or not? The third, a tawbah, repentance. It has been famously said no calamity ever 
befell a person except because of sin and it was never raised up except because of Tawbah. Tawbah is the absolute key. Absolutely, Tawbah is the key when it comes to removing and getting rid of calamities and problems that people suffer from. Really, honestly. And again, what I notice from a lot of people coming for appointments, what I notice mostly from them is I notice people come and they will say things like, Alhamdulillah, I don't do that many sins. Or Alhamdulillah, I'm a good Muslim. The person who says this only proves their own ignorance, nothing more than that. Because every one of us commits sins in the day and the night. And if you don't recognize that, that is your own ignorance. That is not the fact that you are a good Muslim and you don't commit sins. That's the fact that you just don't know the sins that you commit. So start by recognizing that you and I are servants of Allah who sin in the day and the night. And perhaps you'll link to a, you know, some resources to help you with that, to recognize those sins. And then recognize that the reason you are in the problem you are in is because you have not yet made tawbah to Allah Azza A sincere tawbah. A sincere tawbah is not astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. A sincere tawbah is where you admit the sin that you have done and you stop doing it and you feel regret for having done it and you make an intention never to do it again and if it involved the right of someone you repay that right and you make up for that right that is sincere tawbah along with istighfar saying astaghfirullah with one of the well-known you know, words like saying, Allahumma anta rabbi la ilaha illa ant. Khalaqtani wa ana abduk. Wa ana ala ahdika wa wa'dika mastata'at. A'udhu bika min sharri ma sana'at. Abu'u laka bi ni'matika alay. Wa abu'u bi dhambi faghfir li fa innahu la yaghfiru al-dhunuba illa ant. Which is known as Sayyidul Istighfar. And it's from the, the dhikr that you make in the morning after Fajr and in the evening after Asr. And there are other, many, many others, du'as of istighfar. But istighfar on its own is not enough. It has to come with real tawbah. That means really looking at your life and honestly saying, what sins am I doing that are blocking my cure? And I promise you, if you look hard enough, you will find plenty. You will find a lifetime of sins. All of us, wallahi, a lifetime that you can correct. And again, I see people coming. A sister will come and she's not wearing hijab. She's wearing ordinary clothes, like just loose clothes. And a scarf just, you know, a little bit over her head. And she'll come and say, I don't think I do any sins or many sins. Inshallah, I'm a good Muslim. The brother will come, beard is shaved. Thawb is below the ankles. And these are just the things you see in the first five seconds, let alone what, you, what is in the person's heart and what the person does when... The doors are closed and so on. So don't neglect the excellent means of cure. That is the fastest means of a cure that I have ever seen. In Rukia, I have never seen cases fa cured faster 
than this, and that is a tawbah. And wallahi, if you only did that, along with correcting your aqidah and following the sunnah, and the only thing you did is just to make tawbah to Allah, inshallah it would be enough for you to bring about a cure in your life. I can't emphasize enough how important tawbah is in removing the problems that people have. My fourth one, at-taqwa. Taqwa is a beautiful word. It means protection. It means to put a protective barrier between what you and something that you are scared of. So to give you an example of taqwa linguistically, if you smash a glass on the floor and you go and you put your shoes on so the glass doesn't go into your feet while you're sweeping the glass up, this is linguistically a taqwa. Putting a barrier between you and something you're scared of. You're scared the glass will pierce your feet so you put shoes on. In Islam, taqwa is putting a barrier between you and between the anger of Allah and His punishment and His curse and the hellfire. Subhanallah. How essential is this in removing calamities? How do we make a barrier to protect us from the anger of Allah and His punishment and His curse and the hellfire? What barrier is there that is protective against that? The barrier is to do as much as you can to obey Allah with sincere intention and following the sunnah. And to do as much as you can to avoid disobeying Allah with sincere intention and according to the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is a taqwa. This is a taqwa. What did Allah Azza wa Jal say about taqwa? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Allah wa Allah. Have taqwa of Allah and Allah Azza wa Jal will teach you. Allah will teach you where your cure is. Allah will teach you how to do your treatment. Allah will teach you how to get out of your problem. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَمَن يَتَّقِ اللَّهَ يَجَعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا Whoever has taqwa of Allah, Allah will make him a way out. A way out from, the cure, from this problem that you could see no cure for. Allah will open a door and make you a way out of that problem. With a taqwa. But taqwa is a process of doing as much as you can to obey Allah. Whether that is first of all the obligatory deeds, then the optional deeds, and so on and so on. So for example, just to look at one thing, let's look at the prayer. So the first thing you look at is your fard prayer. And you look at doing the wajib and avoiding the haram. So you stop delaying your prayer. And you stop being forgetful and negligent in your prayer. And you stop ignoring the time for the prayer. And you stop preferring other things over the prayer. 
And you do the wajib, you perform your prayer in the right place, in the right way, in the right time. Preferably for the men in the jama'ah, in the masjid. And for the ladies, preferably in a private area of their own room. And there's no harm in them coming to the masjid. If they wish. Then when you've got that obligatory part sorted to a certain extent, you start adding the sunnah into the fard prayer, i.e. for example the extra du'as you can make in sujood and extra things you can say in ruku' and how to make your prayer even more, even better. And then you start adding sunnah prayers and so on and night prayers and duha and you know and duha and so on until you have really you know worked as much as you can on that. And that's just one tiny issue. You work like similarly on other areas. The way you treat your parents, the way that you treat your spouse, the way that you behave towards your children, the way that you raise them, the way you behave at work, your income, your halal income versus haram income and all of these things. Every single aspect of your life, you push it to develop it to the most obedience possible. To Allah Azza wa Jal and the least disobedience possible. And again, by doing this, you gain something. When you have the right belief and you have this taqwa, you gain something. You become from the awliya of Allah Azza wa Jal. Those who when they ask Allah for something, He answers their dua. When He asks, when they ask Him, He gives them. And when they make dua to Him, their dua is answered. Who are they? Indeed, the awliya of Allah, those who are near to Allah, no fear is on them, nor will they grieve. They have nothing to fear about the future or the past. Those who have iman, correct aqeedah, and they have taqwa. Constant. كَانُوا يَتَّقُونَ They constantly stuck to having a taqwa. So again, how many people are seeking a cure, but they're not willing to change their ways. They're not willing to start praying in the right way in the right time. The sister's not willing to start wearing the hijab properly. The brother's not willing to give up his haram income. And he says, why is Allah not giving me a cure? I'm doing my ruqya, I'm doing my ruqya. But what is missing is a taqwa or a part of a taqwa. And every one of us can improve. The most pious of us in this room. Any one of you sitting here. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows who they are. Is the most pious person here. And that person can do so much to improve in taqwa. So this is absolutely essential, ikhwan. That we strive with regard to a taqwa in all of the problems that happen. And finally, in my introduction to getting you know, out of problems, a dua or a dhikr wa dua. Dhikr and dua. How many people go from one side of the world to the other side of the world to get a cure? And wallahi, if they raise their hands in the right way, with sincerity, Allah Azza wa Jal would answer them without them leaving their home. Without them leaving their home. But 
they have become accustomed to asking people and not asking Allah. And I wrote a little blog post on my, on my website about the issue of someone says, you know, like the rukia, the stuff you've given me is too much. Just give me one thing I can do. One thing you can do, keep your tongue moist with the remembrance of Allah. Keep on making dua. And there are many, many uh, forms of dua that we can give you. We can recommend. I recommend that you go to a reliable website, for example, duas.com, or you get a copy of Fortress of the Muslim, and you look yourself for duas that are from the sunnah. Remember from the sunnah, not ones that got made up by somebody from the sunnah, that relate to your problem. Anxiety, depression, family troubles, marriage problems, rukya issues. There are plenty of adhkar and dua that the Prophet ﷺ used to do for every kind of issue and problem. Some are general, like their duas for every problem. Some are specific for particular kinds of problems. Two that I would highly recommend for people who are in extreme anxiety, or three, for people who are in extreme anxiety and distress, number one, the dua of Yunus, alayhi salam. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-zalimeen. There is no God worthy of worship but you. How free you are of all imperfection, how perfect you are. Indeed, I was from the wrongdoers. Tawbah, I was from the wrongdoers. I was committing sins. Accept my repentance. And Allah said, We answered his dua, we saved him from his distress, and we will save the believers from the same way, the same dua. Secondly, the dua of Ayyub. What happened to Ayyub? Ayyub was rich, Ayyub was happy, Ayyub had many children. He had farms, he had cattle, he had everything that he needed. And Iblis was jealous. And Allah Azza wa Jal wanted to test Ayyub through Iblis. So Allah Azza wa Jal allowed Iblis to affect Ayyub first of all in his worship like the wiswas and the whispering and when that didn't work in his wealth so all his wealth left him and when that didn't work in his children so all of his children died and when that didn't work in his wife to the point that even his wife went away from him and he was left with absolutely nothing. And he remained praising Allah Azza wa Jal and thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he made this dua. فَاسْتَجَبَنَا لَهُ We answered his dua. وَآتَيْنَاهُ أَهْلَهُ وَمِثْلَهُمْ مَعَهُمْ رَحْمَةً مِنْ عِنْدِنَا وَذِكْرَى لِلْعَابِدِينَ And we gave him his family back. And again, yani even more on top of that. as a mercy from us and a reminder to the worshippers of what happens when you are patient and what happens when you when you make this dua and the third dua and by this is not by means the only ones but the third dua that I would highly recommend 
is the dua Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al-hammi wal-hazan wa'a'udhu bika min al-ajzi wal-kasal wa'a'udhu bika min al-bukhli wal-jubl wa'a'udhu bika min dala'id-dayn wa'galabati'r-rijal O Allah, I seek refuge with you from anxiety and depression and sadness. And from inability and laziness. Yani from inability, I'm not able to get a cure for my problem. Or laziness, I could get it, but I'm too lazy to do it. And from stinginess and cowardice, too scared to do it. And from a debt that cannot be repaid and being overpowered by men. Having somebody overpower me and control me. What a beautiful dua. Covers almost every circumstance we're going to talk about tonight. I'll add a sixth point generally. Which is another comprehensive way of getting out of problems. And that is. As-sabr. Patience in all of its forms. Patience in all of its forms. That means patience in doing good deeds. Patience in doing what you need to do. Every day, day after day, moment after moment, time after time. You have to do the means to get out of the problem. There's no, po there's no way a person can say, Oh Allah, get me out of the problem. And then he sits on his chair and says, Allah didn't get me out of my problem. Patience in doing good deeds, patience in avoiding sins, and patience with regard to the decree of Allah. Going out there, putting your trust in Allah, a tawakkul, we could add that as a seventh if we wanted to. Putting your trust in Allah by doing what is necessary. Some people say, well, Allah, my business went, I lost my money, I lost my job, I can't get a job, I can't get married. Okay. Go out and do what is necessary. Go out and get training. Go out and learn. Go out and look for opportunities. Go out and look for uh, whatever it is that you need. And on top of that, what should you do? Put your trust in Allah. So go and do what you need to do. And what you can't control, leave it to Allah. What you can't control, leave it to Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Worry about what you can control. Don't worry about what you can't control. There will be things you can't control. Say, Wallahi, I tried to do X, Y, Z from your treatment, but I couldn't do it because every time I try and do it, I just faint. Okay, you can't control that. But there are still a hundred things you can control. Tawakkul is about doing everything you are able to do and leaving the rest to Allah. So on the sixth and seventh, we can add a sabr or tawakkul. Sabr, patience in doing good deeds. People say, I did your treatment for a week. I'm not better. What shall I do now? Guess what? Do it for another week. Do it for another week and another week and another week. If it takes you 10 years, be patient like Ayyub was patient. And patient in avoiding haram. Wow, you know, I, I got desperate, so I went to a magician. No, patience in avoiding the haram. And patience with what Allah has decreed for you because you don't know perhaps Allah has decreed something for you that is better for you. Remember the story of the woman who was fainting with epilepsy and she was becoming uncovered radiallahu anha. She came to the Prophet she said, make dua for Allah to cure me. 
The Prophet ﷺ said, if you wish, I'll make dua for Allah to cure you. And if I wish, if you wish, you can have Jannah. So her sickness was a means for her to enter Jannah. She said, I will have Jannah, I, will, I choose Jannah. But make dua that I don't become uncovered. So he made dua for her that she did not become uncovered and she remained in that sickness. But because of it, she got Jannah. So remain patient with what Allah decrees. Do everything you can, at tawakkul, everything you're able to do. Every means, every road, every avenue, every possible way that is halal for you. And with what you can't control, put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This whole thing, these seven points, require two things. All of them require two things. They require knowledge. And they require acting upon that knowledge. Knowledge and acting upon that knowledge. If you don't have knowledge of what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing, how are you ever going to be able to make a change in your situation? If you don't have knowledge of what's halal and what's haram, how are you even going to know that you're doing a sin? If you don't have knowledge of how to make dua to Allah and when the times are that your dua could be accepted, how are you going to make dua to Allah in the most effective way? Make a serious intention in your life that from this moment on, the way you're going to get out of this musibah is through getting knowledge. But be careful because a group of people get knowledge but don't do anything with it. Wallah, you know, some of the brothers, they come to me in the appointments, they say, I've listened to all of your Rukia videos, every single one of them. What Rukia are you doing now? And when he tells me, he's not even doing 5% of what I said in the video. So this is a problem of he has knowledge, but he isn't implementing his knowledge. And then you have the other group of people who come to the appointment and they say, I'm doing this and this and this, and none of it is right. So their problem is that they have action but no knowledge. And read if you wish, Because this is the key to the matter. Guide us, O Allah, to the straight path. The path of those that you have bestowed your favor upon. Not the path of those who have earned your anger. Why have they earned Allah's anger? Because they do things with, they, they have knowledge, but they don't act upon it. They know the right thing to do, but they don't do it. Not those who are astray. Those who are astray are those people who don't even know the difference between what's right and what's wrong. And that summarizes for us our introduction to the way to get out of every musibah. Now we're going to come on to the topic of Rukia because this introduction I'd like to use it for for lots of things. And maybe I will cut it out of the video and use it for marital problems and use it for people who have problems with their kids and people who have problems with their parents and people who have problems looking for a job because inshallah those points are suitable for every single problem that anyone gets themselves into ever correct belief following the sunnah making tawbah having taqwa dua sabr and they're not the only ones I mean, those are the ones that I wrote down as being very common in my mind but 
Allah, we could sit and think of more, but those are absolutely essential. And you link them together, you, you carry them together by knowledge and acting upon that knowledge that you have. Okay. Now we move on to the topic of Ar-Ruqya Shar'iyya. And I want to start by saying that most people, the problem they have with these videos is that they are searching for either, uh, they're searching for like a custom solution. Like people will say like, I've seen your video, but what should I do? Do you understand like what they say? They'll say, I've seen your video, but what should I do? I'm telling you now, on the video, on the tape, what follows is what you should do. You, regardless of what your problem is. Now that doesn't mean there aren't ways to customize treatment. You know, sometimes I get a hard time of people, they say, you're always telling people there's no way to customize treatment. I'm not saying that. There are ways to customize treatment. But those ways to customize treatment are the final 5%. 95% is exactly the same for every single case for which we need a Ruqya Shari. Therefore, in this video, rather than going into loads and loads of detail, if you want the detail, you can get it from the website, from the other lectures, from the blog posts. I talk about what do you do if this happens, what do you do if this happens, what about if it's this particular problem, and you can customize it. But just right now, for just everybody, what are the same things I say to every single person? The first thing that you need to do, the first thing that you need to do, correcting your intention, getting yourself ready for the sake of Allah to seek this cure, the first thing that you need to do is to Ask yourself where you stand with regards to the means of protection. And I always start with this. Because someone might say, I don't even know if I have a problem or not. Or I'm worried it's going to get worse. Or, 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 or I have a problem. Or, whichever your situation is, protecting yourself is step number one. In other words, doing what is necessary to Protect yourself from further harm and to reduce the harm to the maximum extent possible. Any without, before we get into the topic of Rukia. Now, some of this is an overlap from what we've said, so we just, you know, go over the points. Some of it is an overlap with the general stuff we spoke about, but generally, you protect yourself with having the right belief, which we've spoken about. You protect yourself by striving to follow the Sunnah, which we've spoken about. You protect yourself with the prayer. With the prayer. The prayer is a protection. The Prophet said, The difference between us and them is the prayer, and whoever leaves it has disbelieved. The prayer is a major means of protection. Protecting you from this getting worse, protecting you from it happening, the prayer is a major means. 
after correct belief, striving to follow the sunnah, the prayer. And a taqwa, and a dua. And then, through the prescribed adhkar, the dhikr. And I want to talk about the dhikr that you should be learning what to do. First of all, the dhikr of the morning and the evening. And that is the dhikr that is done after Fajr and after Asr. Well, I used to say after Maghrib, but now I feel more confident with saying after Asr. After Fajr and after Asr. And after you finish Fajr prayer, after you finish Asr prayer. And you can find this inshallah ta'ala. We'll post some links ta'ala, through, the, through the video chat. The dhikr after every salah, after Fajr and Zuhr and Asr and Maghrib and Isha. Astaghfirullah, 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 Allahumma anta salam till the end of all of the various dhikr that you do, ayat al-kursi and qul huwa Allahu ahad, qul a'udhu bi rabbil falaq, qul a'udhu bi rabbil nas. Every salah. The dhikr before you go to sleep. The dhikr before you go, before you go to sleep. And again, Fortress of the Muslim, you can find that in. Not making up some strange things like, I read this surah or that surah, reading what is from the sunnah before you go to sleep. And then the daily adhkar that you use in different situations. The dhikr for entering the masjid. The dhikr for leaving the masjid. The dhikr for entering the home, which is to say, Bismillah and Assalamu Alaikum, even if there is no one in the home. And the dua, Bismillahi walajna, this dua or this uh, hadith is not authentic and Allah knows best. So the authentic is for entering the house, Bismillah. The dua before you enter the bathroom. The dhikr when you leave the bathroom. The dhikr before intimacy, marital intimacy. And so on. All of these daily adhkar. Just getting fortress of the Muslim, Hisnul Muslim, and just going through it. You'll find so many daily things, just constantly protecting yourself with these remembrances. When you go out of the house and you say, Bismillah, tawakkalna ala Allah, wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. And if you wish, there's a longer version of that dua. The angels tell you that you have been sufficed and you have been protected and you have been guided. You have been guided and you will be guided in whatever you do outside. You will be protected in whatever you do. You will be sufficed against any evil. And the shaitan will walk away and say, what will I do with a person who has been guided and protected and sufficed against evil? Just by simple adhkar. All of these adhkar, you see them in the morning, will be protected from shaitan until the evening. You see them in the evening, will be protected from shaitan until the morning. You see them at night, the shaitan will not approach you and so on and so on and so on. So get these going, learn them, and implement them in your life, step by step. Protection of the house. Make your house into a fortress, which is protected against the shaitan. That is protected against the shaitan. The shaitan loves every kind of haram. The bigger the haram, the more the shaitan loves that haram. Okay, the bigger the haram, the more the shaitan loves that haram. 
So get rid of the haram in your house. And trust me, most people will have quite a bit of haram in their house. It might be free mixing. You know, like people who are not mahram mixing together. It might be pictures and images of living beings and animals. Children's dolls and toys and pictures on the wall and whatever. Might be the TV. Because how often does the TV bring you anything good? And maybe there are some Islamic channels sometimes, but the vast majority of people, and who can say the only thing they do with the TV is watch Quran channel? It's very unlikely. The vast majority of the TV is a, is a door to open to the shaitan. Music, movies, get it all out. You know, even the faces that are in the books and stuff like that, I prefer, I either leave them outside of my house in a box or I just cross them out with a pen. Maybe in this, you know, maybe it's more than you need to do. But me personally, I think if you've got a problem of shaitan being in the house, then you need to like do a, a really serious spring clean. And that means behavior, like I said, manners, the way you talk to people, the things that go on in the house. And it means getting rid of the haram, just getting rid of it one time, just through the house and get rid of the haram out of the house. Make the house a place of prayer. So that could be the ladies are praying in the house. It can be that the men are praying their sunnah in the house instead of in the masjid because the sunnah is to pray your sunnah in the house. A place of reading Quran. Not a place where the Quran is just playing. Too many people do that. Place, you know, they say, I play the Quran all day. Do you listen to the Quran when it's playing? When the Quran is being recited, be silent and listen to it. Listen to it and be silent so that you may receive mercy. So I'm not in favor of just having the Quran playing all day and all night. And if you want to Play the Qur'an, play it and listen to it and think about it. Have the house a place full of knowledge and learning, a place where the poor are welcome, a place where you give sadaqah. Make the house a place where the shaitan just hates to be. And you will see a big protection against the shaitan and a big help in moving forward uh, in the cure. Okay. Having talked about protection, we now come on to the actual method of, of Rukia itself. And just for those who maybe don't know fully what Rukia is, Rukia is the treatment of sicknesses and afflictions through the recitation of the Quran, the names of Allah and the authentic Dua and adhkar which are reported from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And ruqya can be used for any kind of sickness and affliction. Anything for which you wish a cure. Whether it is psychological, whether it's mental, whether it is physical, whether it is medical, whether it is jinn or sihr or ayn, the evil eye or magic, whatever it is. Whatever has happened, al-hasad, jealousy, whatever has afflicted you, ruqya can be a cure. بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَ If you seek the right method, 
then it can be a cure. And before we get into actually how to do it, there is an important point we should note. Today was titled about simple self-ruqya. And there's a reason why I say self-ruqya. And by self-ruqya, by the way, I have a wider definition than some people. I mean ruqya on yourself or ruqya within your family and friends. Like where you're not involving a raqi. Everything that doesn't involve a, an, an official ruqya practitioner, I term to be self-ruqya. Even if maybe some people think self-ruqya is just reading on yourself. I mean, maybe, like they say, لا مشاهدة في الاستلاح. There is no harm in terminology. But for me, I, when I say self-ruqya, I mean ruqya that does not involve a professional qari or reciter or raqi or whatever it is. You don't go to anyone or bring anyone to the house. Ruqya, you do it on yourself. Or if you can't do it on yourself, a family member does it on you. You know, husband for wife, wife for husband, you know, father for son, son for father, that kind of thing. Or, you know, at the most distant case, one of your friends who maybe is a little bit more experienced than you or has a little bit of knowledge, inshallah, they go and do it. Why do I spend all my time saying self-rukya, self-rukya, self-rukya? Any of you who have an affliction will realize that treatment is usually significantly long. Proper treatment is usually a long time. Not always. Some people get cured in an hour, some people in a day. But a lot of people go on for a number of months and some of them for years of needing regular treatment. You won't find a raqi. And Allah knows best. Anywhere in the world. Except the one Allah makes it easy and has mercy upon you. You will not find anyone who has that much time for you. They'll give you 10 minutes every month. Or they'll give you, you know, like Rukia Jama'iya, where they just put you in a room with like 50 other people and read on you at the same time. They won't give you the attention you need. They won't give it to you, the attention you need. Because at the end of the day, nobody has that much time to give to that many people. Right now, I think I have at least 150 requests in my inbox that I haven't even been able to look at yet. And I don't even do Ruqya. I'm not even like dedicated to Ruqya. I, mean, I work with new Muslims and non-Muslims. And that's my main goal here. And probably if I open the doors tonight, we could add another 150 on there as well. You know, like easily. You know, like then, then it just spirals. And then one person, you help them and then they tell 10 other people and then they come. And it's just not sustainable. It's not doable. You can't do it. Now, I'm not saying you should never, ever, ever go to a, a Raqi. Sometimes only there's a place for it. But where do I want you to start? I want you to start with Rukia on yourself and Rukia within your family. This is the Sunnah, by the way, generally. There's nothing wrong with going to someone for Rukia. That's also from the Sunnah. But the better and the, 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 the way that is, is better for your Iman and better for your nearness to Allah and better for your cure is self-Rukia. And generally, I've done some statistical you know, analysis from all the patients I've dealt with and, and other people's patients as well. And I can really say with a lot of confidence that those who get the quicker cure are those who are doing self-treatment. They may be supplementing that self-treatment with some help from time to time, 
but generally they are the people who are doing self-treatment. And if you ask me, who am I most willing to help? I, the ones I love helping are the ones who come to me and say, I watched your video, I did the instructions, I'm doing this, 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 and this. I found one small problem. In your video, you said this, but it's not working, this particular issue. Could you just answer that for me? Those people, I will go, I'll stay up late to answer them. I'll get up early to answer them. Because I can see that they really are doing everything they can. And, you know, maybe it's my fault that I missed out something in one of the videos or I didn't explain it clearly. And so I appreciate those kind of questions. But what I don't appreciate are those people who will say, for example, I've got a big problem, I'm desperate, help me. So, okay, have you tried to use the resources? I can't do it, help me. That's not going to get you anywhere. That's just going to get you put to the back of the queue. And when Allah makes it easy, I'm not, I never say no, you know, to anybody. But, you know, like it's not going to get you to the front of the queue. What is, is doing the best you can. Someone says, I've been treating myself for three months. I've observed this and this. Do you have any suggestions? And generally, and I, that is, that's what we want people to be doing with, with relation to the professional ruqah, the people who do ruqya professionally. Because their best use is to use them like a consultant. And where you go to them to ask them for the things that you couldn't get out of the basic, regular, you know, treatment. That being said, we now come on to the treatment itself. And this is true for 95% of cases. 95% of cases. Now, as well, some people will say, but what about intention? Isn't it necessary for me to know what's wrong with me before I start Rukhya? And some of my, my colleagues in Rukhya have said this. Hafidahumullah, uh, may Allah protect and preserve them. However, I've done some research on this issue and I feel confident in saying that at least in the early days, you can do a general intention for a cure and inshallah ta'ala that will benefit you and when you know what it is, then you can become more specific inshallah. And the evidence for this is that the dua that the Prophet ﷺ used for ruqya was general. For example, Allahumma Rabban nas adhibil bas Washfi anta shafi la shifa'a illa shifa'uk shifa'an la yugadiru saqama This dua is general. Make the problem go away, O Lord of mankind. Cure and you are the curer. A cure that leaves no sickness. The Prophet ﷺ did not say, Adhi bil-sihr rabban nas. Make the sihr go away, Lord of mankind. Adhi bil-jinn rabban nas. Make the jinn go away, Lord of mankind. Adhi bil-marad an-nafsi rabban nas. No, he said, Adhi bil-bas. Whatever is wrong with them, make it go away. And in some du'as, the Prophet ﷺ combined between multiple things. Bismillahi arqiq, min kulli shay'in yu'dhik, aw kulli aynin hasid, Allahu yashfiq. In the name of Allah, I perform ruqya for everything that is harming you. Sickness, illness, mental, psychological, jinn, sihr, whatever it is, from anything that is harming you. And so all of these different du'as, this du'a, in the name of Allah, I make ruqya for you for everything that is harming you, for every 
for every envious eye. For every magic, for every envious eye. There's a lot of versions of this dua that combine many things in one dua. And since they combine many things in one dua, that it gives us the permissibility of doing a general ruqya with a general intention of a cure, at least until we know what is specifically wrong. And I do very much respect those brothers, Jazamallah khairan wa hafidhahumullah, who speak about specific intention for ruqya. I respect that opinion. But in my experience and based on that evidence, I do not consider that opinion to be the most correct. I consider the most correct opinion to be that you can do a general ruqya with a general intention until Allah Azza wa Jal opens up your heart to that which has afflicted you. And really doing the treatment is more important than knowing what's wrong. Some people spend their whole time, how will I know if it's sihr? How will I know if it's jinn? How will I know if I have a jinn inside of me? Do the treatment. Tawakkal ala Allah. Put your trust in Allah The treatment, it has various preconditions. The first of them is that you direct all worship to Allah alone without giving the rights to any or of Allah to anyone or anything else. Trusting in Allah completely and recognizing there is no cure except Allah. If you believe the cure comes from Muhammad Tim, I can promise you you're not going to get a cure. Because there's no cure comes from Muhammad Tim. The cure comes from Allah Azza wa Jal and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. When you pray, you pray to Allah. When you make dua, you make dua to Allah. When you sacrifice, you make your sacrifices for Allah. Everything you do is only for Allah. You don't give a share to Jibreel alayhi salam. You don't give a share to the Prophet Totally worshipping Allah Azza wa Jal alone and knowing that your only hope of a cure comes from Him and nobody else. Again, strict in following the sunnah. Another precondition is that you are not in possession of a ta'weez. Because every ta'weez is wrong. And the vast majority of them contain names of shaitan and bringing you near to the shaitan. And I've mentioned about this extensively in other videos. You can refer back to them, inshallah. Maybe we'll put a link in this video for them. But you can see, opening ta'weed, where the person says, Wallahi, ayatul kursi, ayatul kursi, nothing else. You open it up, iblis, 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 iblis is written inside. What ayatul kursi is this? Wallahi, I didn't know. I thought it was my local imam. He's so nice. He just wrote it for me. He told me it's ayatul kursi. Yeah, he just wrote Iblis's name seven times. Iblis, help. Iblis, help me, help me, help me, Iblis. And you're carrying that around on your neck? What cure will you get from Allah? Ta'weez are haram in every case, from the Quran and from other than the Quran. As was the well known opinion from Ibn Mas'ud, radiallahu ta'ala anhu ardah. The ta'weez are haram from the Qur'an and from anything other than the Qur'an. And from other than the Qur'an, it's worse. And the vast majority, they tell you it's Qur'an. When you open them up, you will see. Fir'aun, Haman, Iblis, Qattatil, Hattatil, Badul, Baru, you name it. All the names of the shaitan. You'll see open disbelief. Calling upon Jesus, Jesus save me, Jesus help me, Jesus guide me. 
Open. This is from the person who got it from their local imam in the masjid. And I see and I say again that the people who give these, some of them are jahil. They don't even know what they're writing. They just write, you know, some of them are ummiyun. And sadly, some of these imams who give them, they are ummiyun, they're illiterate. They don't know what they write. They write Haman and Fir'aun and they think it's, they're writing something from the Qur'an. And some of them are sahara, any magicians. And that is the, the majority, sadly, who give out the ta'weez. And sometimes you ask them and they say, yeah, but you know, I do good magic. The one who purchases this will never have any share in the hereafter. You don't cut that ta'weez off, you will never be successful in the dunya or the akhirah. Get rid of it, get rid of it quickly. There is a way of disposing of it. I have a video on that, I have an article on that, we will link to it in the video. You get your house set up, you're praying your five daily prayers, and you have watched at least this video, minimum that you have watched this video, or this, this gathering we are doing today, minimum. Ideally, the more you watch, the better, because the other Rukia courses have more information, more detail, more specific circumstances, but whatever is easy for you, a minimum you watch this video. Right, the next thing comes to preparing the environment to do Rukia in. There are two situations I want to talk about. Rukia upon yourself and other people where the other person is the same gender or you are a mahram to them. Yani, there's no strange, it's not, a, it's not a, a man with a strange woman. Yani. A man with his wife, a man with his daughter, a man with his sister or a man with another man. Or a sister with another sister. Or a sister with her husband or her father. And this is the first situation. In this issue, the main thing we are concerned about is the patient's safety. Do not worry about yourself. It is very, very, very rare that you will get hurt. But the patient usually tries to hurt themselves. So make sure they are comfortable. Make sure if they faint, they're not going to fall and hit their head on something. Make sure there is not a kitchen knife within arm's reach or within the room in general. There are no things they can throw because all of it, you know, at times happens. At times happens. The biggest concern, and I repeat again, is the patient's own safety. They are much more likely to grab a knife and stab themselves than they are to grab a knife and stab you. Much more likely. So just make sure that the environment is safe. If they, you, if they have a history and they're known to collapse and, and have a fit, make sure you can handle that. Make sure that you have them sat on the floor with a nice cushion around them where they are comfortable. Make sure that they're not in somewhere that they can kick out and kick against something hard and they will, you know, they will damage themselves or make themselves bleed. Some of them will take their heads and, and you know, bang their heads against the walls and things. So make sure the area is safe and comfortable to the best of your ability. Also make sure it's safe in terms of distractions. Last thing you want are the kids running around. I don't think there's any danger to them, but you know, like it's not, it's not sensible, it's not practical when someone's unwell and you've got like extra people around you, you know, like just milling around, you know, like get rid of all the extra people. However, I do recommend that you, if you are able, you do rukia with a partner, and if you're doing self-rukia, you do it with someone else there in the room. You don't have to do that, 
but it's definitely best practice because it just means that there's one more person at hand to look after the situation, to help you out, to give you confidence. Shaitan preys on the lone sheep like the wolf. You know, try to have yourself another person around you. I always, you know, did until now in Dubai because of the circumstances, but always I did Rukia with a partner. You know, because it's just, you just have somebody who can take over, correct your mistakes, read from the Mus'haf when you forget your ayah. You know, just generally be around. If the person starts maybe fitting, they can help you to just keep them calm and control the situation. So just look around you and be sensible. Most cases, the person will not do anything. Don't worry. Most cases, nothing will happen. Nobody will jump up. Nobody will scream. Nobody will shout. But just in case it happens, be prepared. Because it's usually the times when you're not prepared that they're the worst. You know, like it happened to me recently and it happens, right? It just happens. It happened to me recently in a situation um, where like I just, you know, wasn't following my own advice. Like I wasn't well prepared. I wasn't, you know, I was like, look, most of them, they don't do anything. And this one turned out to be like violent to the nth degree, you know, like. So I got my beard pulled and I got like a few, you know, slaps and punches and whatever and a good few kicks and my various things thrown off of, off of the desk and whatever. This is so rare that it like happens like in one in a hundred. You know, it's like very, very, very rare. But the point is if you prepare for it, it's not even a big deal. Like really, it's not like, you know, it's not like this is going to pick you up and throw you to the top of the seat. It's not, it's not a big deal. It's just somebody like, you know, somebody getting a bit active. It's not a big deal. But when you don't prepare for it, that's when you, you, know, you get your phone thrown across the room and probably at you and then, you know, like then the person's running out of the door or running onto the balcony. You know, we've had sadly cases of people trying to commit suicide. Like, just think about your environment before you start and all of those problems go away. The balcony door is locked. The front door is locked. You're standing between the person and the door so if they make a run for it, you know, you're, you know, you're there and you're in control. They're safe. You're safe. You know, the, the room is comfortable. There's nothing they can hurt themselves with. The, you've got a partner there, ideally. Alhamdulillah. 99.999% of the time, you don't have any problem with that. If you have sensible... And usually the only time I have a problem is when I don't follow my own rules. Okay. So now we get to the actual Rukia itself in addition to all the stuff we've already mentioned now I want to be clear that Rukia means actually reciting the Quran not playing Rukia audio you can use Rukia audio to supplement your Rukia like you can put it in your ears to listen to but it does not count as Rukia listening to people reciting Rukia recorded does not count as Rukia ikhwan. doesn't count so don't do it yani do it as a supplement as a you know an extra bonus but it's not Rukia. So listening to Rukia audio or listening to surahs is not Rukia. Okay. What are you going to do? First thing you're going to do is purify your intention. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his help and his aid. And you're going to begin, of course, by saying, A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem or one of the authentic similar words to that, similar similar. Uh, isti'ada, seeking refuge with Allah from the shaitan and you're going to begin Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. every single day 
a minimum of 45 minutes. That is a minimum. Now, someone may say, is that from the sunnah? And I will say to you openly, no, it is not from the sunnah. There is no time limit in the sunnah. However, this is just from experience of what I believe is practical. If I told you to do two hours, would you do it? Probably not. If I told you to do 10 minutes, would it be enough? Probably not. So my, what I've settled on that I'm happy with people doing is a minimum of 45 minutes continuous reading. A minimum of 45 minutes reading. In that 45 minutes, you should read Surah Al-Fatiha. Either you can read it one time, or you can read it three times, or you can read it seven times. Or you can read it a random number of times without aiming for a fixed number, because there is a sunnah for one and three and seven, and there is the rest you can do, but just don't give it any other number. Like, don't say I do it ten times every time. Like, just as much as you like. If you wish, you can repeat an ayah, like repeating, as some of the scholars used to do. Whenever you wish, you may blow, with or without spittle. With spittle? Without. You may blow in your hands, put them on the person. You may read while holding the person. You may read into the person's ear. You may read and blow after every ayah, after every surah, after every page. What There is no, you know, like you do whatever you wish within the limits of what the sunnah allows. And there is a video which explains exactly what the sunnah allows. And I will link to that video in this video. But just generally, you're reading the Quran. You're blowing, repeating where you like, blowing, putting your hand. Now this leads us to the second issue, which is when you are reading to a non-mahram, you know, men over a woman, and she's not your mahram. This requires two extra or three extra precautions. Number one, the presence of a mahram. If there is no mahram at all, then at least the presence of another sister. And that other sister's job is to, all physical contact should be not, should not should be done, and it doesn't, it doesn't get done by you. Precaution number two, you are further than arm's length away from her. So that you can't get touchy-feely by accident. And so that if she goes to, you know, walk you one, then hopefully you, know, you minimize contact. And generally, I prefer to recite upon a sister from behind her head, from the back of her head. Because this means I don't have to worry about looking at her. I do not want to be in her face. Because that means I'm going to be looking and not looking and, you know, it's all, it's all a bit messed up. She's in her proper full hijab and you're reading from behind her. So that you could, the only, even if you looked up, the only thing you can see is the back of her hijab. I mean, nothing else. You read and if you are touching, any because it's the case that it's, it's a mahram or it's, it's male to male, female to female, then... There's no harm in you touching. And you just keep an eye on what's going on in the body. Look at what's going on. Listen to what's going on. And touch, feel what's going on. Okay? Do not hit. Do not hit. 
I'm not saying hitting doesn't work, but hitting doesn't work for most people because they don't know how to do it. And when they do it wrong, they only hurt the patient and they don't hurt themselves. And it's also illegal and liable to get you in jail. So generally, don't hit. What you can do is to gently massage. Just, you know, follow. If you see some movement in the body, arm starts to move, just focus your blowing, focus your rubbing, you know. That way, if you get it wrong and you don't know where to put pressure or whatever, it's no problem because, you know, the person will just get a massage out of it. You know, it's not like nothing, nothing bad happened. Following, putting pressure. And you just gently, just, just gently, you know, around the body, looking, being aware of what's happening. Surah Al-Fatiha. Ayat Al-Kursi. Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayu al-qayyum. Qul ya ayyuhal kafirun. قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ الْفَلَقِ قُلْ أَعُوذُ بِرَبِّ النَّاسِ That's all basically that I want you to read inside of the 45 minutes, minimum time, as well as the dua. And there are many, many du'as that you can make. But for example, from among the du'as that you can make, Allahumma rabban nas adhibil ba's washfi anta shafi la shifa'a illa shifa'uk shifa'an la yugadiru saqama. From the du'as that you can also make, is to say, Bismillah alladhi la yadurru from the du'as that you can make are the du'as that start with a'udhu bi kalimatillah and there are maybe four a'udhu bi kalimatillahi tamma min kulli shaytanin wahamma wa min kulli aynin lamma a'udhu bi kalimatillahi tammati min ghadabihi wa iqabih wa min sharri ibadihi wa min hamazati shayateen wa ayyahturun أعوذ بالكلمات الله التامات التي لا يجاوزهن بر ولا فاجر until the end of the dua أعوذ بكلمات الله التامات من شر ما خلق and maybe there are more however when you are reading these for yourself you say أعوذ and when you are reading them on someone you say أعيذك Uidhuka for a man and Uidhuki for a woman and Uidhukum for a group. Uidhuk instead of A'udhu. A'udhu means I seek refuge. Uidhuk means I seek refuge for you, from Allah for you, on your behalf. From the du'as that you can say, Bismillahi. يُبْرِيكْ مِنْ كُلِّ دَائِنْ يَشْفِيكْ وَمِنْ شَرِّ حَاسِدٍ إِذَا حَسَدَ وَمِنْ شَرِّ وَشَرِّ كُلِّ ذِي عَيْنِ It's another one. It's from Sahih Muslim. 
And as we said, Bismillahi arqeek min kulli shayin yudhik wa min sharri kulli nafsin aw aynin hasidin Allahu yashfiq Bismillahi arqeek And this is in Sahih Muslim. These should be said along with the recitation of the Qur'an to fill in the 45 minutes. Now if you did each one seven times, I mean if you did the, uh, if you did uh, the uh, recitation of the Qur'an each one seven times, that would probably take you more than 45 minutes to finish along with the dua. Also from the duas you can say are the duas for the sick person. Such as, As'alullah al-Azim, Rabb al-Arsh al-Azim, and Yashfiq. I ask Allah, the great, the most great, Lord of the great throne, to cure you. And you can say that seven times. If a person says that, then as long as Allah has not written death for the patient, they will be cured. And so on and so forth. Someone may say, Muhammad Tim, you missed out a lot of ayat. The ayat of Sihr, the ayat of Ayn, the ayat of, of, of and, and so on. You are welcome to read any other part of the Qur'an that you wish. But after the 45 minutes has expired. Why? Because I fear for you something that I fell into for a while. Is that I would be reading Surah As-Safat instead of qul a'udhu bi rabbil falaq and qul a'udhu bi rabbil nas which were revealed to treat these problems and i would run out of time and i'd be like subhanallah i didn't read i didn't read the quls because i was reading surah as-safat or surah rahman or surah al-jinn or surah you know, or any other surah of the quran so what i now say is in the first 45 minutes only from those after that, you may read from the Qur'an whatever you wish, including the various other ayat that I and other people who recommend for ruqya have recommended. You may read any of them you wish, including the ayat of Sihr, uh, and so on and so forth, all of these different ones. You may read any of them you wish. But after the 45 minutes, yani this is in your own free time, yani. you may read as many of them as you wish. What you must also do, this the next thing that you must also read, you must also take to reading Surah Al-Baqarah frequently. And it is the most powerful or one of the most powerful tools against magic and the magicians. Surah Al-Baqarah. You can break it up if you wish. However, I would recommend to you that you try to do it as much as you can in one go, as much as you can. I probably, you know, if, if your situation is really serious, you might need to do it every day. Or even twice a day if it's really, really serious. If your situation is, you know, controllable, then you might want to do it once every three days, twice a week, something like that. Someone might say, this, what you've told me, might not be enough. Okay, if it's not enough, first of all, start doing Surah Al-Baqarah every day along with your 45 minutes, along with your additional recitation, along with additional dua, along with additional adhkar, and so on until, and fill up your time and do more and more of it. Don't forget those early things that we talked about. Okay, so you're doing this, you're blowing, and what you may also wish to keep with you is a bottle of 
good quality olive oil. I prefer, preference only, for it to be organic, cold-pressed, extra virgin olive oil. I also prefer it to be from Palestine if possible, but, and if you can't get then I suppose Italy will have to do. This, you keep it with you, and regularly blow into the, blow into the oil. Also keep with you a bottle of uh, water, preferably Zamzam, but doesn't have to be, and regularly as you're reading, keep blowing into that. You can use them later on for, for treatment. You can use them during the Rukia, the olive oil generally you rub on, and the water you can either spray on or you can drink, or both. But they will help you for later on. As you're reading, you keep on reading over them. Now the next question is, and I'm trying to hurry up, inshallah, hopefully maybe 10 more minutes. The next question is this. What might happen? In the vast majority of cases, let me say 60% to 70%, nothing will happen. Nothing at all. person will say, carry on, this is lovely. What should you do? Stop, because nothing wrong with them. No. Absolutely not. Do not, do not, do not stop. At least a month before you come to the decision, there's nothing wrong with them. Because so many times the problem takes time to come up. It's like there's a lot of cobwebs you've got to clear out first. So I would say at least, at least, at least, at least a month of recitation before you make any decision about whether you should stop reciting or whether you should move on to something else. What if it's medical? If it's medical, do Rukia and go to the doctor at the same time. Why not? Do Rukia and go to the doctor. Take your medication and do Rukia. But don't stop doing Rukia. As long as you're sick, as long as you don't feel you're well, don't stop doing the Rukia. Even if you feel the Rukia made you better on the first day, continue for a minimum of one month. Most people, nothing will happen. They will keep on getting better until Allah brings about a cure. Especially those who are strongly practicing and especially children. Especially children and those who are strongly practicing. Often, and I have an article on, on Rukia for children, I'll link to it in the video inshallah. But generally, you will not see fireworks from those people. There are two people you rarely see fireworks from. As in you rarely see like an explosion of problems from. One are children. And two are very practicing individuals who have implemented the seven things that I said in the beginning. Mostly they will sit quietly, benefit, get better, and inshallah carry on. If you're doing rukya on yourself as well, we want it to be observed like we said with a partner. So someone is watching you so you don't like doze off and forget you read something or whatever. And they're ready to take over. But in general... Nice and calm, that's most of the cases. 60 to 70%, no problem. Just keep on reading until the problem goes away. If you think nothing's happening at all and you're happy, there's no problem whatsoever, do it for about a month and then stop. The next case are those who have a mild reaction. Could be some shaking, some unnatural movement in the body, finger just goes up, could be some twisting a little bit of the face, or they just feel inside of themselves. I don't feel, I feel ill, they vomit. So again, you know, if someone's going to vomit, have a little bag next to you, whatever. Those kind of mild reactions. Generally, just manage the reaction. 
keep a close eye on them, make sure they're happy, healthy, you know, they're drinking plenty of the water that you've been reciting over, and just manage it, inshallah. If they've got movement or they've got some, you know, shaking, just, you know, keep that contact as long as it is a mahram or the same gender. If it's not a mahram, you don't do the contact, somebody else does it. And just, you know, continue like that. If it is a severe reaction, or shall we say the next level up, if, if, if there is a jinn that manifests itself and starts to speak, it's not so severe. Rah, rah, screaming, and this, and that, whatever. Very, very calmly explain to it that it has to leave, tell it to fear Allah, give it a minimal amount of da'wah, don't, you know, try to tell it that you're not here, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to harm you, but don't make any pacts or agreements and don't listen to it, just tell you stories. Don't let it tell you stories, don't let it tell you, I know who shot JFK and, you know, like, just, honestly, they'll go on for ages. They'll go on, like, I've lived here since Iblis's time, I've seen the creation of Adam, and, 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 and until they, they'll tell you every kind of story. Ignore the stories. Keep yourself on message. On message means... Tell people nice and clearly and simply, you tell them, I'm inviting you to come to the religion of Islam. I'm going to ask you in the name of Allah to leave. If you leave, no harm will come to you, ta'ala, and you will be fine. If you go, inshallah, everything will be okay. And if you stay, I will continue reading. Nice and simple, nice and short, carry on reading. Every now and again, if it keeps talking, you can do that. Don't get in a conversation one back and forward because it will rarely benefit you. It will rarely benefit you. Stick to your message. I don't know how to get out. I want to, please, if you just listen to me tell you a story for two hours, I'll do what you say. Don't listen. Very simple. Give them simple message. Ask them to leave in the name of Allah. Do not let them leave in your name. Do not let them make a pact with you. You sacrifice this, I'll go. You bury this for me, I'll go. You free this for me, I'll go. In the name of Allah, then the most violent reaction. So this is the rarest of the rare cases, one in ten, where the person really starts to hit out and kick and whatever. Your first concern is their safety, not yours. Alhamdulillah, you're all adults, you know, like most of you. So please understand this. The first concern is their safety, not yours. Don't start thinking, oh my God, am I going to be safe? And you run out of the room. The first concern is, are they going to be safe? Safely restrain them. That does not mean like punching them, kicking them. That means put a little bit of pressure on their shoulders. Get your partner to help. Just push them back so that they don't have any leverage to get, you know, you push them back at their shoulders. They don't have any leverage to, to get to you and you just keep them comfortable and safe. Why are you restraining them? So they don't start hitting themselves. So they don't start beating themselves. So they don't like start, you know, stabbing themselves or whatever. It's better that you restrain them proactively. That means that you restrain them before they start breaking the house down. So as we said, if you try to rugby tackle them, and it starts looking like a, a jujitsu session. And while it can be done, it's messy. It's messy, you don't think about recitation, you're just wrestling and put, it's not nice. Much better than that is just be proactive. 
sensible environment, they're comfortable, they're leaning back, Just put a little bit of, you know, gentle pressure on the shoulders, keep their arms back, just, you know, so that when you see them hitting out, so that inshallah they don't hurt themselves, and they don't hurt you. And one of the rare cases where I would touch a woman who is not a mahram, is if she started to hurt herself and her mahram could not handle it, like he could not restrain, or if she starts to hurt me and he can't get her off. That's the only case that I would touch a lady who's not a mahram, I'm not a mahram to her. Very rare that happens, don't worry about it. Have a partner there, really they're not that strong. Focus on using the recitation to weaken them, not your strength. Do not get into a wrestling match with the jinn, you usually lose. Instead of that, focus on recitation. That's why you have a partner. The partner is just keeping them safe, keeping them in place, and you are making them weak by the permission of Allah through the recitation. One further thing that you need to do, or that you should be doing, is looking at some supplemental treatments, like optional treatments. There are lots on the website, but one of them that I would highly recommend is the seven-day program. That seven-day program uh, is there as a, like a, a treatment alongside the Rukia, not instead of the Rukia, I mean, you can use it instead of the Rukia if it's a mild issue, but generally, it's there alongside the Rukia program, not instead of the Rukia program, alongside the Rukia program. And you can read more about that. We'll post a link to it, inshallah, and an explanation of the program. We have a little video explanation as well, inshallah. We'll be in ta'ala, post that. But the program involves the water and the oil that we've already spoken about. And basically, you put the oil on at night, you go to sleep, you wash it off in the morning and you pour the water that you've read on over your head in the morning and you drink three times a day, three glasses of the water you've read on with a tablespoon of honey or two and some black seed, black seeds that were called kalunji, the small black seeds, black cumin seeds, put inside of the water and habit soda, just stirred into the water. But the instructions are there, we'll link to that as well. That's an example of a supplementary treatment a secondary treatment that you can do inshallah to help to move things along and there are lots more of them on the website which you can ta'ala refer to also I would highly recommend having a regular hijama session hijama means cupping cupping and uh, I would leave that to a reliable place and I would leave that to the practitioner to decide. Because you know sometimes people ask me, where should I do it, what should I do? Leave it to the practitioner. If the person who's doing it knows what they're doing, they'll know where to do it and when to do it and how often to do it, leave it to them. But it's most useful towards the end of the ruqya as you feel like the problem is going but it's just not quite gone. It's quite useful at that time and throughout the ruqya inshallah and again, and maybe provide some further information about that. The idea behind this video today has been to provide a summary of what I would tell most people to do. I would advise that while doing it, you keep yourself a little diary of how things have been going each day. Don't worry if the person seems to get worse. Don't worry if it takes a long time to cure. I have an article on my website about why it takes a long time. And it's not because the Qur'an is not effective and it's not because you're not doing the right thing. But it's because Allah wants to test your iman as He promised He would do in the Qur'an. So bear that in mind. 
Be patient. Don't forget the earlier things we said, they're just as important as the later things we said. Doesn't matter what your problem, doesn't matter if you don't know what's wrong with you, try the treatment, try all the steps that we said, implement them, keep yourself a diary, keep yourself a list of them, and bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, that will be sufficient for you. Continue to learn, watch the other videos, watch the other links. There's a lot more information in them. But this is the best I could do in the time that we had, and I've taken an immense amount of time, nearly almost two hours, but the best that we could do in the time to be able to give you as much information that is generic to everyone. You will find more specific information on the website. Don't let the first thing you do is email. And the first thing you do is to go back to the website and go back to the other videos. You will find a lot more personal information on there. And remember, if your problem, your Rukia problem is combined with, for example, financial issues or whatever, don't forget to do what is necessary. And don't just do Rukia and say, I'm waiting for my business to improve. Do Rukia and work hard and put your trust in Allah and look for opportunities and look for reasons why maybe your risk might be blocked or delayed so that Allah can open up a path for you either from that or either from this That was what Allah made easy. It's very, very late so we won't have time for uh, questions. Um, I would politely ask that you don't use this video as an excuse to like shower me with more Rukia cases. The whole reason of doing this video was to try to stop that from happening, inshallah. I do appreciate that some of you have relatives that are very, very, very sick. But trust me, this information is like any 10 years worth plus of practice. It's what you need to do in general. And yes, there are more. There are more people more knowledgeable than me with more information than me. And all that can come later. But right at the beginning, be careful who you trust. Because at the end of the day, too many people trust the wrong person and end up getting the wrong treatment. Better you limit the treatment and then slowly ask about it. And implement it, be patient in it, follow the instructions given. And be idhnillahi ta'ala, it won't be long before you get a cure. And ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala al-azim, the Lord of the mighty throne, to cure all those people who have come with a sickness, whether it is a sickness of the mind or the body, whether it is a sickness relating to the jinn or relating to the evil eye. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make this video a benefit to all those people who watch it, to make it sincere for Allah's sake, to make it correct and to make it in accordance with the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi And in reality, I have no ability to do that by myself, except with the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين